Hello and welcome back to another episode of War Stories with Brax. It is the 30th of November 2020. Um, I just got back from a nice trip to my home state of Indiana, <clears throat> hung out with some of my family, and took lots of shots and drank way too much this weekend, but hey, it was Thanksgiving, so that's how it always is. I hope that you guys had a good Thanksgiving as well. <clears throat> um, so, when I got back from Baghdad, things kind of just started bleeding into one continuous time. <clears throat> also, the enemy activity slowed down a lot. I mean, we were still getting hit almost every day. But it was continuing, like, it was just smaller stuff. Like, maybe one hand grenade <clears throat> every couple days or something. So there were still guys getting Purple Hearts. <clears throat> but our serious injuries, serious wounds kind of died down for that little bit of time. Um, I want to say, well, there was one. We, had, we lost one Marine. We lost a Gire, who was actually my roommate in Hawaii. And he was a character. <clears throat> he was a... Uh, he, I remember he was like in love with this girl and would just talk to her every night when I was trying to sleep when we were in the barracks at Mackey Hall back in Hawaii. And he, one time he fell asleep with his phone up against his head, pushing the button. So it's just like, boo, in his ear and he was just sleeping on it and it just didn't wake him up. So I had to like go pry the phone from his hands and, and so that I could actually get some sleep because it was so loud and annoying. But for all accounts, I think he was a pretty good Marine. Um, he, he, um, unfortunately he, he was killed out near K3. They were patrolling and he got out to do a dismounted sweep of a dirt road section. Um, and he stepped on a landmine that, or a, IED or landmine or something that was made for a vehicle, so it it hurt him pretty bad. He was basically cut in half. Um, we were patrolling out near K3, but it was he was from one of the mobile units, one of the 5th platoon guys, and I remember hearing it over the radio and calling the lieutenant upstairs to uh, Gurdon and I. Gurdon was the other squad's RO at this point, <clears throat> the crazy Swede. And we called up the lieutenant to tell him the news, and then he told the rest of the platoon downstairs. Um, it was around this time that we uh, we did a couple rotations at the new combat outpost that was set up to the north near Echoes Camp uh, Echoes AO, and I just remember it being freakishly cold. Because it was, it was about a, it was like a half-finished building. So it, all the windows were wide open. The doorways were wide open. Obviously, we built a doorway for the bottom floor. But on the upper floor, on the balcony, we had our posts. And that door was just open. And one of the really kind of crazy things is in one of the bedrooms upstairs, we would just have a full-on campfire. Because everything over there is made of concrete. So we had like a, a rock fire pit. <clears throat> in this bedroom and we would just burn the pallet wood that we had and burn other stuff and 
eventually the inside of that room just like about above waist high all the walls were just black they were just stained with tar from the from the smoke coming up <clears throat> probably not good for our long-term health uh, i remember nation having some sort of allergic reaction to the smoke and his face just like like melted off I don't, it, like he woke up the night after or the morning after we hung out for a while near the fire and the smoke just kept uh the smoke just kept blowing like right into his face and he was like trying to act tough or funny or something he just sat there and was like it doesn't bother me it's fine well the next morning his face was just like destroyed like looked like not leprosy, but it looked like eczema or something. Like he just had these huge sores all over his face from the chemical wood, the treated wood that we were burning and just breathing in. Another thing we did that's probably super bad for us is to make like hot chocolate or coffee <clears throat> or just to warm up a drink because it was so cold. We would take an ammo can, fill it with water, put that on the fire so it'd be boiling, and then we would put um water bottles the plastic standard what like a deer park water bottle we just float those in the water and they would become like the plastic on the outside would like deform and stuff and it would heat the water inside the bottles probably releasing tons of chemicals into our drinking water but that's just kind of how we rolled we didn't really care um while we were up there we did have a pretty hard hit to our platoon. Um, the other squad with Sergeant Covington <clears throat> was patrolling. And Sergeant Covington was kind of squirrely because for some reason he just ignored what EOD and everybody with a sane mind told us. Like, if you think it's an IED, get away from it. Don't touch it. Don't mess with it. Get away from it. And up until this point, he had been ordering Marines to go grab stuff and there's videos of, of Marines running up and like grabbing something that looks super sketchy, opening it, realizing it's an IED and running away like a little, like a plastic wrapped bundle for some reason on the side of the road. And he, like, he'd make one of his Marines go play with it. Well, they were patrolling to the North of the combat outpost near this big, like a big, tall, like four, four or five story apartment building. And by big, I mean a pretty small building compared to an American apartment building, but you know, it had a pretty good height to it. And they're, they were patrolling through this doorway from the parking lot and through, there was like a, I guess in America, there would probably be landscaping stuff there, but there wasn't really. Um, and there was, uh, there was this big, thick, white cord, like a, like looked like an extension cord, just going across this open area into a pile of dirt in this area, which is right next to the door where we always patrolled through. And that's where you can't set, uh, you cannot set patterns because they'll blow, blow you up. Well, he ordered his guys to go mess with it. And they basically just said, not this time, like. But we're done doing that. Fuck you. And it's like, fine, I'll fucking do it. So he walked over there. He reached down and he pulled on the white wire and the IED just blew up right in his face. So we were back at the cop and it was, I had, 
was off post and my squad was time to rest. So, you know, I stripped down because even when it's freezing cold, I still had to wear basically nothing in the sleeping bags that we had because I just burn up. I have to be cold when I sleep. So I stripped down. I was like just in my skivvy shorts and I was in my sleeping bag and anytime we were allowed to sleep over there, we all just fell into the deepest sleep. So we got, I got shooken awake by something and then it's like, you know, second or first squad just got, or whichever squad it was, I think it was first and I was second at this point, was just like, oh, they got hit. We got to go right now. So we all geared up and like I threw my gear on and like probably the fastest I've ever been dressed, which you get drilled at boot camp to get really good at it. Look around. There's no radio for us to grab. So they're like, well, go take one of the radios from their squad. And so we pushed out with no communications gear at all. And we had probably, I don't know, half a mile to go up north through the city. And so we just like kind of, we were still in formation, like a tactical column, but we were just like double timing it. And, you know, we see, we see the squad. So the squad's dealing with the wounded people. There's a handful of wounded, um, I don't know who yet, but Coving Covington was obviously pretty screwed up. I could tell. Um, I remembered seeing his arm where he was reaching down. It was like the bones in his forearm just vanished. And so his hand was like right where his elbow was. And his, the, his forearm muscles were just like a ball, like a, like a softball. And then his hand was just sticking out of it. So it looked really weird. He also had a big chunk of something stuck right in his forehead. I was like, damn, he's probably dead. Um, so we pushed up and they said the extra radio is up on the roof of that apartment. So we ran up the four flights of stairs. I think Hillsdorf, Hillsdorf was up there with one of the, with the radio that I was going to grab. And when he handed it to me, the radio was just soaked in blood and the LCD screen that, you know, said the frequency you were on or the net ID was just cracked and like had blood all caked in it, but the radio was still working. So I threw it on my back um, and started establishing calm with the base and everything, which uh, they had already sent up a nine line. I think Gurdon either did the nine line or Hillsdorf. Somebody, they did a good job. And uh, we were there for probably 15 minutes waiting to get hit because this was up in the Bonnie D area where we always got hit after an IED. And we waited and waited, but the ambush never came or the attack never came. And so we were able to get the wounded out of there and everything was hunky-dory. Um, Pruitt got hit during that one. I think Stanley got his second Purple Heart or something like that. Uh, Russ Rodriguez got hit. He, he was a funny guy. He was really squared away and he just... Uh, he was like a Hispanic guy, but he had like a southern accent. He's actually from Virginia. He's from out, he's about near Shenandoah. But he says that he, when the explosion happened, he just, his instinct was to like stiff arm it. Like, like a, like the Heisman Trophy. So he, he said he was like moving and the explosion happened. He just like stiff armed it. But he caught, he caught some pieces of frag in his leg and stuff. But he was all right. <clears throat> um, so another time when we were up there during this sort of after the holidays time, we were on a foot patrol and we were heading. And I can't remember if I've ever talked about the Saddam barracks before. 
but there was this massive danger area called the Saddam Barracks. And you would basically, if you were heading south to north, you got to the opening and there was a, a, like a wadi, so probably like a 10-foot canyon is what a wadi is, like a dry riverbed or something. And you'd have to go down in there, and there was like what we always called moon dust. So it was basically like baby powder consistency, just like that real, or like flour, you know? So when you step in it, your feet sink in, and there's almost like a suction action like it's mud, but it's actually just like really dry, fine powder. And you'd have to go through that, then you'd climb up the edge, and then you had probably... 100 yards, maybe 80, 80 to 100 yards of just wide open. On the right, you had the river and the palm groves, which the bad guys were in the palm groves a lot. Um, so the same palm groves that we were up against when that squad of enemy came and got in the building next to us. So you have the river and over on to the right, and then on the left, you had big hills overlooking it. And so we would have to sprint across and then there was the Saddam barracks, which was like a little army barracks, tiny little building. And that would be like, we'd all stack up on that. And then we'd push across another big open danger area with the, the palm grove on our right and the hills on our left. Well, earlier, I go, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but earlier in the deployment, in the middle of the night, there was just a random explosion and they're like, where'd it come from? And everyone saw the smoke and stuff. So we sent a mobile unit to the Saddam barracks because we saw the dust and smoke coming out of it. And a dude was basically setting up a massive IED at the Saddam barracks because they watched us and they knew that we always bunched up on the Saddam barracks. And he accidentally blew himself up. And I remember they took pictures. Like the dude's brain like perfectly came out. It was like in one piece and like the dogs were already gnawing on him chewing on his brain and chewing on his body and stuff. But, yeah, he accidentally killed himself, which is a win for us. But this is later in the deployment, and we were actually heading back towards base. So we were heading from the north to the south. I can't, we, I can't remember if we were leaving the outpost or if this was right before we built, you know, right before we started going to the outpost or something. But we were stacked up on the Saddam barracks, which is a bad idea. Because, you know, they know that we're going to, uh, they just know our, what we're about to do. And so the squad starts bumping across from the Saddam barracks to the deep canyon back up. And then you just dove into one of the houses over there. And thank God they never were just waiting for us in one of those houses. Because the first couple guys would just be, there's no way. Because you, you basically hit the front door at a full sprint to get out of the open. So while I was in Baghdad... Uh, Kim actually got shot running across that same danger area, but he got hit in the sappy plate in the back, so he was fine. Yeah, he, in the, he got a three-round burst shot at him. One round hit his front sight post and blew it off, and then one round missed, and then one round hit him right in the back. Um, if you watch the YouTube video where Montana and I describe it, we do point that out and say, hey, that's where Kim got shot. Um, <clears throat> so we're stacked up. And it's Trujillo, the lieutenant, and then me. And it's Trujillo's turn to push across, and he starts running. And, and Trujillo's a lefty. He's a southpaw. So he starts running, 
and rounds from the hill to our right, because we're heading south, starts just lighting them up. And they're like hitting the ground all around him. So he starts shooting rounds off with his left hand, not aiming at anything. He's just sprinting and shooting. His, and so this is the point when the lieutenant should have popped out and started shooting up at the hill. But as I've pointed out before, on this deployment, for some reason, he didn't really do shit that you think he should do. So he, like, runs me over, getting away, and then I, like, can't get up there to shoot. And so I run to the other side of the of the building to start shooting, because I could kind of tell by the way that the rounds were hitting the ground where it was coming from. And he wouldn't re really be able to shoot from that position. So I ran north to the corner of the building, and this is when I saw Kim, Nation, and Montana were, like, trying to squeeze into like this tiny little like planter that was in front of the like it was not big enough for all three of them and they were all trying to take cover in the planter like oriented towards the palm grove because they they just assumed that the fire was coming from the palm grove only reason i knew that it wasn't was because i saw the rounds hitting all around trujillo and so at this point i have no idea if he made it or not so i start shooting up or start looking like can't find a target up on the hilltops and they stopped shooting so I'm like looking we look across the danger area Trujillo made it across somehow even though he just had to run like 80 yards of just getting rounds impacting all around him and the enemy slipped away so then we we reset and pushed across the danger area <laughs> to say you know and it's like when it's your turn you're like well hopefully they're not still up there and you sprint across just like hey it's your job you got to get back to the base um so tour i can't remember the exact month but it's when the lionesses showed up and so the lioness program was someone some genius well there's two things going on some genius thought that having women with us that could talk to the Iraqi women could get the wives to convince their husbands to be on our side. Which I would say with American women and men in our relationships, that might work. But in the Middle East, you're allowed to take your wife out and just shoot her if she pisses you off. And so... I don't think the premise was very smart. I think that it probably got a lot of women killed for no reason at all. And as we continue this podcast, you'll hear some stories. But so the women, there's another thing going on where there's this weird, I wouldn't say conspiracy, but there's like this social engineering aspect. And it happened really big when I got out when they basically stood up a 30% female Marine Battalion, and even though everyone said women are amazing, they're great, but unfortunately, when it's 120 degrees out and you pack them full of, you know, ammo and gear, you know, 120, 150 pounds of shit, they just aren't built for it. They're built differently than men. And um, so there's this weird, like, train of thought where because women aren't in the infantry they can never become the highest level so the commandant of the marine corps at this point 
in 2006 and 7 had only ever been infantry. So the idea is, yeah, I guess it makes kind of sense because a woman can never be the commandant of the Marine Corps. Well, that changed because we had a pilot since then. So that means, and we have women combat pilots because a woman can fly a fighter jet just as good as a man or an attack helicopter. Um, unfortunately, I think worse things happen to women if they're ever captured by the enemy, but we don't have to get into that right now. But, uh, so nowadays, Hey, we had a flyboy be the fucking commandant. That means that a woman could be the commandant. That means that they've, they've achieved the highest level and, and more power to them, you know, whatever. It just, I'm just saying they couldn't do what we did like four months without changing our underwear because our shower got hit by a mortar at some point. Like I got to shower, but my friends didn't because I got to go to Baghdad. They didn't. Um, so basically I didn't shower from the time I went to Mosul to the time I went to Baghdad because that whole time we didn't have a shower. But, uh, so the lioness program and it, they, sh these women show up and Again, I'm not trying to shit on any of the individual Marines' decision because it makes sense to me. They want to help out. They join the military. They're Even though maybe you could make the argument that they're in MOS school and boot camp for them was easier than ours, but they still gave up four years of their life for this country, and they still decided to be a Marine, and they were Marines, you know? And so they... Um, we get about a squad of them. I think there's like 10 of them, maybe less, maybe eight. We get a squad of them at golf company. And this is the first women any of us had seen in a long time. Besides me, they went to the, cause I went to Mosul and I also went to Baghdad, but all the other Marines besides myself, Stinson and Hillsdorf, everybody else had not seen a woman in since September. And this was like, February, March timeframe. And so obviously all of a sudden like love was in the air and like everybody was trying to get laid. Everybody was trying to get over there. One of the Iraqi policemen that we had with us went into the showers and tried to pay money for, or like tried to have sex with them. Just like, Hey, have sex with me. And so that was a huge deal where we had to like pull him out of there and his his squad leader wanted to just shoot him because that's how Iraqi people think. But uh, I think we just sent him away to get in trouble somewhere else. But uh, <clears throat> so we had these females. And honestly, they didn't really get in the way that much. And they never came out with us foot mobile guys. They just hung out on the other side of the, you know, of the base where the COC, the chow hall the bathrooms and the um like rec area with the computers with the internet on them they were just over there and they lived either in the same i don't know if they lived in the same hooch as, as the fifth platoon but they were right next to the fifth platoon so they were always all hanging out and playing cards and chilling with the females and during our one week a month that we came to stand we just stood post and so we just like see them you know like none of us really hung out with them or talked to them or like put any moves on any of them it was just kind of non-existent well there was a time and this is a uh, staff sergeant tardiff i believe 
who did he did like two funny things. Well, two one awesome, well two awesome and funny things. So they were out, and they had the females with them, and their squad, the mobile squad, so one seven ton and three Humvees, cruising around the city, doing whatever they're doing, and they got ambushed. And, you know, they took small arms fire and RPGs and, like, the normal stuff. Well, nobody got hit. The The upgunners were all infantry marines. And the females were just in the back, you know, in the backs of these vehicles. They didn't do, they literally didn't do anything. They just sat in the vehicles. Well, they get inside the wire. And our first sergeant, who was not a grunt, he was not infantry, he was a comm guy. I liked him, though, but... I liked him up until when we got to Iraq and he just was like, didn't care about us at all and had like no interaction with us at all. Besides the whole chow hall incident that I told, or the whole like food thing when we were clearing the city. Well, he just goes to Staff Sergeant Tardiff and he's like, he's like, hey, how'd the, how'd the females do when you were out there? Or how, lionesses, nobody called them, like referred to them as females. We just said, how'd the lionesses do? Which meant female. And he's like, uh, they didn't do anything. And he's like, well, you should, you know, you should really think, or can you, uh, write up some personal awards for them? You know, like, make it up. Make it, make, make it seem like they did a bunch of stuff. And Staff Sergeant Tardiff just looked at him and was like, no, because my fucking Marines get in firefights, like, every day and they don't get shit. So, no, I'm not doing that. And he didn't get in trouble for that. He basically stood up to the first sergeant and told him to fuck off and, and it stood, which was pretty good. So, um, like I said, we had basically no interactions with them at all. Like the one time we interacted with them was later in the deployment when this is like our squad. So we, we basically got so low, so low in numbers after, uh, that IED hit the other squad that we were doing patrols with like five Marines and a corpsman if you're lucky or we would use sometimes we would just take like an iraqi policeman so it'd be like five marines and iraqi policeman no corpsman at all and we would leave the wire and patrol around and yeah so that was sketchy well this one night for some reason we only had 10 or four guys and the iraqi policemen were like unable to come with us and we had a we had a patrol slotted for our squad, or yeah, for our squad, and our squad leader just went to bed and was like, "Don't wake me up. I'm not going. Don't take anybody else from the platoon." So there's just four of us walking around the base at like three in the morning, trying to find somebody because we had to have at least six bodies to go on a patrol. So we like went to the lionesses because hey, I mean we were trying to hang out with them. You know what I'm saying? So we're like, "Hey, do you guys want to go on a patrol?" And like two of them. We're like, oh, hell yeah, I want to go. And they asked their sergeant, female sergeant, and she's just like, fuck no, you're not going on a fucking foot patrol. What, are you crazy? So then we're just asking around. We ended up just picking up two guys from 5th Platoon. And uh, this this patrol was pretty funny because we were still just exhausted all the time. And it was a pretty mellow patrol, uh, probably, I don't know, a mile or two outside the base. And we're just going to set up an OP, hang out for couple hours then head back to the base well we get to the op and we walk you know it's just a random house there's nobody home so we walk in it's still got electricity it's still furnished we walk in 
and we all sit down on the couch, like just to take a breather. And then we were all going to, you know, we're going to figure out security and set up a watch schedule and all that stuff. But we, we weren't even really going to be there long enough to sleep. So we all just kind of sat down because there were no windows in this house. It was a very like small, tiny little like shed house. So we couldn't get on the roof. We couldn't really set anybody up in the windows. Well, we sit down and the next thing I know, I open my eyes and everybody in the squad is just asleep on the couch. And I'm like, oh fuck. And I look at my watch and we had been asleep for like two hours. And they're on the radio like, golf, golf, 3-2, golf, 3-2, radio check, pause rep, sit rep, what's up? And I'm like, oh, yeah, here, yeah, uh, loud and clear. And I, like, woke everybody up, like, dudes, we've been in fucking sleep for, like, two hours. We could have all just been murdered by the by the Al-Qaeda motherfuckers. But that's how ti- tired you were, you know? Like, it was, we literally sat down for, like, a second, and we were just out. So then we hustled back to the base, got the 5th platoon guys back to their platoon, um, so another thing was because we were getting females, they sent a CB down and the story was, I don't know a hundred percent whether this actually happened, but the story was that the guy got sent down and, uh, CBs are like, uh, Navy engineers. The story is that he got sent down to fix our water heater and fix our showers, but he got killed on the way down. Um, so then they sent down another guy because we're getting females and you have to have a working shower if you're going to have females because they have certain anatomical differences than us, uh, from us. So we got our showers fixed. That was pretty dope. Um, what else happened during this time? So also some rumors started coming out that the dudes that got killed in the boat at the beginning of the deployment weren't super legit or they were legit. But basically the two guys that did that, it came down that they, cause the story initially was, yeah, we got in a firefight. We looked out on the river and there was a boat cruising down the river with the guy on the front of the boat with his foot on the bow with an AK scanning the tree lines, looking for Marines to shoot. And everybody kind of questioned that when we were told it, we were like, that's in the middle of the day. Like, no shit? That's crazy. There's no... Really? Because, like, we had never seen anybody. Like, we were getting lit up for hours and not seeing a single person, you know? So we're like, in the broad daylight. Well, that's ballsy. I guess it's cool that you killed them. Well, then it came out that they weren't armed at all. And that the dude standing up front on the boat actually waved at the Marines because he saw them. And the two Marines just looked at each other and were like, Hey, you guys want to kill these guys? Which... Technically, they were supposed to because we had told them that we would kill them if they used the river. So, this is another one of those things where people make rules and don't understand how they get implemented because they never leave the fucking wire. So, the rules were, if they're on the boat, kill them. So, they basically killed two unarmed guys, sank the boat. Um, that So, that, that started coming out. Another thing that happened during this time was we were on a patrol. 
heard we were outside the wire patrolling around the south side of the city. And we heard an explosion in the distance, and it sounded huge. But it didn't sound like it was in our AO. We were like, what the fuck? So then some time went by, you know, a minute or two, and then it came across the radio. Hey, guys, just letting you know, Fox Company just got hit by a massive uh, suicide bomber at their traffic control point, their TCP. Um, It was while a female was getting promoted, so... Like 50 people were killed, including a female sergeant major, because they had a, they were doing a promotion ceremony outside the wire. And so we all look at each other and we're like, what the fuck kind of bullshit is this? Like, and this is where you have these non-combat motherfuckers doing dumb shit. So this female sergeant major was killed, and and they said five zero, 50 people died. We're like, holy fuck, that's so shitty. Now. That's, I don't think that's what actually happened, but that's what we were told over the radio. So we continue patrolling. You know, we have a little bit more of a heightened sense of alertness. And all of a sudden, we heard seven shots come from the, from towards the base. We're like, what the fuck is going on? So we get on the radio, and they're basically like, hey guys, be careful. We just had a dude try to run in the base on post 7, the, the, the spooky post that I stood at the, like, South ECP. Yeah, a guy tried to run in, and the guy on post, who was the same guy that uh, didn't help my friend Riviera, killed him, shot him seven times. Okay, so we continued patrolling, and then it's like, EOD comes down, because it's assumed that he has a suicide vest on, because a huge suicide vest just hit Fox Company. So... We um we listen on the radio and they say, okay, well, we just did a test. There's no explosives on the body. And it's like, no explosives on the body. And he ran inside the base? Well, it turns out that that Marine is a huge piece of shit. I already told you that he is because of, you know, the way that he didn't help Riviera while he was dying on the roof. Well, he basically, a guy showed up. And this guy has some history with us. He was actually a good guy. He showed up at the base asking to see where his son was. Because some time before, maybe a month or two before, he had actually turned his son into us. Because his son was starting to hang out with Al-Qaeda motherfuckers. So we arrested him. And... Who knows what the fuck happened to him? I told you last episode how the judicial system was, so there's a distinct possibility that that, they, that family never saw their fucking kid again. Well, this guy also, his brother, so the old guy, the guy that's dead, his brother was actually the dude that was driving the V-bid that had the family in it that blew up the TCP. And so when he came to the base and he t- turned into his son... He was like, look, my brother blew himself up. My son's starting to talk to the same people. Can you guys talk to him and just like, so he doesn't do this shit? All right, cool. So they arrest his son. Well, it had been months. So he had come to the FOB to inquire about where his son was. Like a normal fucking father. And he comes to the FOB and he comes to the post and he says, hey, I'm here to talk to your commander. Can I talk to you guys? And the piece of shit on post, Seven, the Marine, says, oh yeah, sure, come on in. And as soon as he stepped over the kill line, he killed him. For fun. For no reason at all. 
like a piece of shit. So that happened and we continued patrolling. And then it was like the next day or the next day. And we were still outside the wire patrolling around. And there was a sign on this house and it said ceremonies of consolation death. And so I thought it was like a war protest poster or something because it didn't really make too much sense well i ripped it down and took a bunch of pictures with it like an asshole and i have the picture somewhere well it turns out that that was the family who had the brother had blown himself up the son had been arrested and then the the marines had just killed the fucking dad and they were basically like hey we're having a funeral here like don't fuck with us and i took the poster like a dickhead and fucking posed with it and shit but None of us knew what the fuck was going on. So, um, that's really all I can think about for that time frame. Um, there's a pretty crazy story that I'm going to have to have Montana on here for. Just because I wasn't there. I can't remember where I, why I wasn't on this patrol, but... Uh, some pretty funny stuff happened. Well, uh, so basically I'll, I'll allude to it a little bit during this time we started randomly just finding dead bodies. And when we did a background check, they were like bad dudes. Like they were on the wanted list. So it's almost like the people in the city started like taking care of business on their own. And it kind of makes sense in hindsight because ISIS was never able to take Haditha Triad, so maybe it was one of those things where they were actually starting to be on our side. Um, so, basically, a squad rolled up on a dead dude, and a bunch of hilarity ensues. Um, yeah, well, I think that, that I'm going to wrap it up there, because I, I, I got a couple other stories that I'm going to do a little bit more... Uh, talking to people about so i make sure i get the story right but uh thanks for listening if you're still here um as always share this with your friends if you think that they're gonna like like war stuff or if they're marines or whatever um if you want to help out there's always a patreon um as always thank you to my my patrons that ha are helping out that's awesome um and uh see you next time